Welcome to the Lawyerist Podcast with Sam Glover and Aaron Street. Each week, Lawyerist brings you advice and interviews to help you build a more successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are Sam and Aaron. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 108 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking with Mindy Yoakum about starting a socially conscious law firm. And we're going to be seeing Mindy at TBD Law next week in St. Louis, which will be cool. If you have comments about today's show or any show, send them to us at email at lawyerist.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if we get a chance, we'll discuss your comment or question on the show. Today's podcast is sponsored by FreshBooks, which is ridiculously easy to use and packed with powerful features. Try it now at freshbooks.com slash lawyerist and enter lawyerist in the how did you hear about us section. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Ruby Receptionists and it's smart, charming receptionists who are perfect for small firms. Visit callruby.com slash lawyerist to get a risk-free trial with Ruby. What if we told you that having a new website designed for your law firm doesn't have to suck? Spotlight Branding prides itself on great communication, on meeting deadlines, and on getting results for their clients. Learn more at spotlightbranding.com slash lawyerist. So Aaron, I recently came across an article by Clive Thompson, who writes about, you know, technology, culture, and kind of hacky things. Like he's one of the people who wrote about why it's so important to be able to touch type to remove the bottleneck between your brain and the page. And uh, he recently published an article about overclocking your audio and video to learn faster. And it seems to me this could apply to things like deposition transcripts uh, or deposition audio uh, or video if you're watching it, and maybe even CLE webinars and things like that. But basically, the idea is we can absorb information a lot faster than people can speak it at us. So if you're sitting there, you know, listening to a podcast and feeling like, you know, it's just sort of droning on. Well, that's because your brain can actually take in information at like 300 to four or 500 words per minute, while most podcasts are not spoken that quickly. Um, spoken word doesn't come in that fast. So the idea is go ahead and turn it up. Uh, there's some data that suggests that a significant portion of people who take courses on Khan Academy, for example, listen faster than normal. Uh, and there's studies showing that uh, people who are absorbing scientific information can get it at one and a half times normal speed just as well as they can at one times normal speed. And so I feel like maybe if people don't know that, look for that dial on your podcast app or consider listening to your CLE webinars a little faster. So I guess I have mixed feelings about this. I will first concede that my podcast app is set at 1.25x. So I guess I do a little bit of overclocking. And there are certainly some forms of content like if I'm listening to a deposition that um, it's all about just getting through the information, in which case doing that as fast as I can comprehend it maybe makes sense. On the podcast side, though, and again, even though I'm guilty of it, I feel like this is just more of our society trying to do more with less and trying to consume as much as possible rather than like sit back and enjoy the podcast that someone created for you. Well, then that's interesting because in here, nobody overclocks classic novels, for example. There's some various pieces of data in here and basically nobody on uh, who's listening on Audible cranks up the speed on the classics because they want to enjoy them. But if what you're doing is just taking in information, taking the, like download it to your brain 
And, you know, my podcast app has a real nice rewind 30 seconds button, which I use all the time because I'm like, wait, did I just hear what I think I did? Um, and I want to sit and focus or try to think about it and absorb it. And so I use that all the time and maybe even slow it down to 1x speed if you really need to absorb it. So, so I get that. But I think that most people will slow it down and stop and enjoy it if they want to. Okay. So if we're downloading stuff to our brains, yeah. we can overclock. If yeah. we're trying to slow down and enjoy, then just do that, please. But I want to get back to something else you said. <laughs> Go for it. CLE. Yeah. So I think this is actually a really fascinating ethical question which maybe has different issues and implications in different jurisdictions, but certainly most, if not all, mandatory CLE jurisdictions track your CLE credit based on time. Is that the time that I listen or the time of the, of the podcast or of the, of the webinar? I, I think time has never been flexible before, <laughs> and therefore, I think it is an open question that probably would be answered differently in different jurisdictions, especially now that we are in an age of on-demand CLE. It's obviously different if it's a live CLE program, which is how CLE has traditionally been provided for the last 40 years, where if you're in an auditorium or even listening to a live webcast, there's no ability for you to overclock that. But now that we have on-demand videos, um, your ability to set that at one point 2.5 or 1.5 or 3x begs the question of if we judge CLE based on time, is it time in or time out? So, I really want to say that if I listen to a one-hour CLE at 1.5x, then I get to report a one-hour CLE. But then, what if I listen to a deposition transcript or a, a deposition and I listen to the recording for 30 minutes, do I get to bill 45 minutes? Or what if you listen to your CLE at 9x where you aren't comprehending it, you did listen to it, it was on, there's no test at the end of CLEs to see whether you listened to it at, even if you're in the auditorium to see whether you were paying attention. It's all about right. were you in the room while it happened. But even do, as- you, do you have to ethically not crank it up beyond your particular level of comprehension? I mean, assuming good faith, I want to say that you can get an hour credit for an hour-long CLE even if you crank up the speed. But if you're deliberately gaming the system by using a phrase like overclock, (laughs) then is that good faith in any sense? I think if you use buzzwords, you're automatically, you you receive demerits. Like you are gaming the system at that point, (laughs) which is not good faith. Yeah, but but then I do think that it it raises the interesting question of do you get to bill an hour or 45 minutes for listening to a deposition for 30 minutes if you've overclocked it? And I I really don't want that to be the case. Uh, The flip side, though, is if you don't get to, then then maybe you want to listen to it at 0.8 speed in order to (laughs) have even more comprehension. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe some people will email us and let us know their thoughts and we can uh, touch base on it again next week or something. Yeah. Also, email us if you are listening to this at more than 2x speed right now because I want to see whether you comprehended me asking you to do that. I guess if nobody emails us, we can assume that either nobody is listening that fast or nobody who does comprehends us. Correct. (laughs) On that bombshell, here is my interview with Mindy. Hello, I am Mindy Yocum and I am in Dublin, Ohio. 
and I operate a socially conscious law firm um, that provides proactive legal education and accessible legal services to individuals and like-minded businesses. We do have a specific focus on those dealing with re-entry and people who need a second chance. Re-entry is individuals that are rejoining the community from incarceration, jail, prison, gotcha. um, with a previous record. Well, that's okay. That's cool. So you threw a couple of terms in there that I want to explore today. And one, the first one I think is interesting. You you started out by saying your firm provides legal education. Uh, and that's, I, I'm hearing that more. And I'm, I'm wondering if that's a bit of uh, an attempt to, to show, hey, lawyers do more than just um, create documents. Um, and I also think it's kind of funny because it came up in my conversation with the Texas Law Hawk. He talked about his advertising <laughs> <laughs> efforts are, are built around education, uh, which is not really necessarily the first impression people take away from him. But in your case, um, it seems very, right. very earnest and upfront. And so I wanted to talk about how you more about, well, say more about how you envision your role with respect to your clients and how education plays a, a role there. One of the the main goals or the main reasons that I that I started or, or became an attorney is um, my own experience with the legal system. I um, my husband was a victim of violent crime, and we had to deal with social security disability and workers' comp, and it was very overwhelming, very confusing. Yeah. We didn't know how any of it worked. That really hurt us. It put us at a disadvantage. Um, same for when I first started practicing law. The first few times I went to court, my clients didn't know what was going on. The people in the courtroom, they don't understand their rights. They don't understand what they're agreeing to if they take a plea deal. There's a lot of bad situations or future repercussions that can be avoided if people just understand, first of all, what they're doing mm-hmm. and their rights. You know, I've always said that I think like watching daytime court TV like Judge Judy is really educational for lawyers because <laughs> it really puts on yeah. display, this is how normal people think court works. <laughs> right. <And> it, it's <laughs> a, That's it's, a good point. Yeah, yeah. And it's especially those interviews that they always do after, after the verdict. You know, like uh, what's his name, Harvey or whatever, is out in the hall, and he <laughs> asked them if they what they thought about the verdict, and they always think it's either fair or unfair for reasons that have absolutely nothing to do with justice. You're exactly right, or everything to do with justice, but not in the way that courts, you know, dole, dole it out. And and I've always, uh, you know, I always told my clients that, um, you know, the court system is kind of like um, visiting China, and when you don't speak Chinese. And the lawyer yeah. is sort of in the position of interpreter and tour guide. Um, Hopefully, so, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, uh, what you were saying was totally resonating with me. I, I, I get, yeah, you are basically the educator and tour guide for your clients to get through the court system comfortably. You're exactly right. It's a, it's a huge issue. And like you said, a lot of people, they are only looking at what they think is fair. And, and that's just not how, <laughs> that's just not how the system works. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, when, in, when it comes to education, I, I assume that's more of a selling point than people are actually coming to you for training or, or do you, do you reach out to the community and, and try and do trainings in addition to your actual one-on-one representation? Yes, I do. So hopefully, um, as I continue grow, to grow, that'll be a bigger part of the firm, but that is the goal. So, um, I go to employers and nonprofits and agencies and I say, hey, can I put on a legal clinic? You know, people can come ask me quick questions. Can I do a workshop on um, 
landlord tenant issues or expungements or um, child support. My goal is to hit as many people as possible so that that many more people understand what's going on and how mm-hmm. to protect their rights. And know who you are and what you do. <laughs> right. Well, and you, that yeah. does that does help. Yeah. But um, part of that is, is nobody's just going to walk into my office and say, hey, let's talk about eviction. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I try and go out in the community and do those things. Yeah. So uh, maybe, maybe this is a useful point to uh, stop and back up to the beginning. Tell me about starting your firm because you, you've been at this for two, three years now. Uh, well, I graduated from law school in 2015, took the bar in November, and so uh, opened the firm in 2016. Wow. Okay. So not, yeah, less, well, I guess almost a year exactly now. It's February. So I've been doing it for about a year. Um, uh, initially, I started out just offering uh, fees based on income. I developed sort of a sliding scale. But again, that was only hitting the people that were walking in the door or giving me a call. Yeah. And so I I saw something on, on the Facebook, as I call it, or, <laughs> or the Twitter, about a social enterprise incubator. And I never heard of such social enterprise. And I've never partaken in any sort of incubator. But um, I sent in an application to see if maybe I could use it as sort of a a catalyst to come up with a better way to affect more people. Mm -hmm. And what was the name of this one? That, uh, the one that I took part in is called Sea Change Ohio. It's C-E-A. It's based out of Cleveland, but they do a cohort here in Columbus as well. Um, and I was the only law firm. <laughs> so tell me what that was ever, like. Ever thought about doing yeah. that? Yeah. I mean, what's an incubator like? I mean, we hear we hear about Y Combinator as the big one, and and lots of other incubators for startups. And um, but what is it actually like going through one, especially as a law firm? Right. So it was as I alluded to before we started the interview. I'm a I'm an older lady, but a newer attorney, and um, there's a lot of younger people, which is great. There's a lot of um, information, you know, just about the basics that anybody can use, how to build a business, how to market, you know, what's your mission statement, elevator pitches, things like that. At the end, we did have to uh, do a pitch with a PowerPoint presentation, which is not my strong suit, <laughs> but um, the PowerPoint. But um, it was really great because it gave me the opportunity to step out of the legal world mm-hmm. where, we, where we spend most of our time, you know, reading, researching, dealing with other attorneys. And it was a great way to sort of think about things from a different perspective. Um, Cause there's all these great people doing all these great things. And, you know, it's not just a, an incubator for business, it's an incubator for social enterprise. So they're, they're doing great things for the world. So it was, it was really a positive experience for me. Tell me about going in, you conceived of your firm in one way, and then how did going through the incubator change the way you thought about how you wanted to approach law practice? My whole plan is to just change the entire legal system. <laughs> <You have to laughs> Likewise. You have awesome. to have a, an, a, yeah, you have to have an effective approach. And I think that it, it made me sit down and sort of focus on, okay, how is this going to really happen um, business model wise, but um, to your question, uh, like I like I stated earlier, I went in with essentially just the the limited, um, you know, uh, flat fee services and sliding scale fees based on your income, 
And um, as I went through the incubator, which was probably was one night a week, we did it for maybe three or four months. It sort of evolved as I saw problems people were having. And I met other people who were doing great things in the community. So at the end of it, it, uh, it had evolved into uh, a traditional law firm that offers um, the educational piece, the clinics, the workshops to um, partner employers to offer to their employees and agencies. Also, the goal, hopefully within the next year, as I continue to expand, is to help the un- and underemployed attorneys that are doing doc review um, by hiring them to take on cases so that they can gain experience and put that on their resume. So it's a huge monster of an idea um, that all came from working through that, that incubator. Well, let's take a short break to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, I'd like to explore more what your firm looks like now and how you're putting some of that stuff into practice. So you're racing against the clock to wrap up three client projects, prepping for a meeting later in the afternoon, all while trying to tackle a mountain of paperwork. Welcome to modern life as a small firm lawyer. The working world has changed. With the growth of the internet, there's never been more opportunities for the self-employed. To meet this need, FreshBooks is excited to announce the launch of an all-new version of their cloud accounting software. It's been redesigned from the ground up and custom-built for exactly the way you work. Get ready for the simplest way to be more productive, organized, and most importantly, get paid quickly. The all-new FreshBooks is not only ridiculously easy to use, it's also packed full of powerful features. Create and send professional-looking invoices in less than 30 seconds, set up online payments with just a couple of clicks, and get paid up to four days faster. See when your client has seen your invoice and put an end to the guessing games. FreshBook is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to our listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com lawyerist and enter lawyerist in the how did you hear about us section. This podcast is supported by Ruby Receptionists. As a matter of fact, Ruby answers our phones at Lawyerist, and my firm was a paying Ruby customer before that. Here's what I love about Ruby. When I'm in the middle of something, I hate to be interrupted, so when the phone rings, it annoys me, and that often carries over into the conversation I have after I pick up the phone, which is why I'm better off not answering my own phone. Instead, Ruby answers the phone, and if the person on the other end asks for me, a friendly, cheerful receptionist from Ruby calls me and asks if I want them to put the call through. It's a buffer that gives me a minute to let go of my annoyance and be a better human being during the call. If you want to be a better human being on the phone, give Ruby a try. Go to callruby.com slash lawyerist to sign up, and Ruby will waive the $95 setup fee. If you aren't happy with Ruby for any reason, you can get your money back during your first three weeks. I'm pretty sure you'll stick around, but since there is no risk, you might as well try. Most solo and small firm lawyers have had at least one truly miserable experience with a web designer or internet marketing company. So if the idea of launching a new website for your law firm makes you queasy, our friends at Spotlight Branding get it. At Spotlight Branding, they pride themselves in excellent communication with their clients. They are responsive, professional, respectful, and deliver what they tell you they are going to deliver. Spotlight Branding works exclusively with solo and small law firms. Services include law firm website design, email newsletter management, social media marketing, and more all designed to make your law practice more profitable. Visit spotlightbranding.com slash lawyerist to see how they can help your firm stand out from the crowd without the headaches. Okay, and we're back. And so, Mindy, you've talked about starting your firm. Um, You've talked about your approach with education. And you've talked about coming out the incubator with a little bit of a different concept of how you want to build and grow and change, change things. 
So, uh, you know, <laughs> what does that look like today? Well, I mean, wh- where where are you physically located? How many people are you working with? And, and what kinds of things do you do day to day, both with clients and otherwise? Sure. Um, well, I am still in Colum- my my office is in downtown Columbus. So you have you have um, an actual I, physical office. I do. I'm actually yep. so I'm like an incubator junkie apparently, but I'm part <laughs> of the local bar association's um, incubator program as well. So we're fortunate there to have a sweet office in a really nice place and um, get the support of mentors there. Oh, nice. um, so I'm part of that as well. That's that's set to be over in the next month or so. But um, so I do have a physical office. I do see clients um, and take regular cases, traditional. Um, I would say probably at this point, 30% are traditional fees. The rest are sliding scale, but that's just, you know, I feel like that's the nature of the beast at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I am working on developing some different programming. So I have a partner employer that is fantastic and allows me to sort of experiment and try different things. They're called Hot Chicken Takeover, a local business that hires individuals that may have previous convictions, people who need a second chance. So they offer a lot of great resources, counseling, uh, help with finding home, you know, uh, apartments, things like that. And and I met with um, the owner of that business during the incubator and they also offer legal now. So we do workshops and clinics there. So you're trying to take a more holistic approach to reentry counseling and education. Correct. By working with other people. That's all, you know, I, there are so many people who, um, so a, a good friend of mine is a doctor and mm-hmm. he works um, on with HIV patients. And this is years ago now, but we were having a conversation about how one of his biggest challenges is is not keeping people alive because HIV isn't a death sentence anymore. It's getting people to take their medicine. Interesting. And as we talked more about it, he was explaining, and, and he works at the public um, downtown city hospital. And he's, uh, in the grand scheme of these people, of his patients' lives, um, remembering to take their pills and coming in for something that seems kind of far off is really low priority. Even oh. though he can save their life, um, they have so much other shit going on in their day-to-day lives that seems more urgent, like keeping the heat on in the winter or figuring out where they're going to stay tomorrow night. And so there's so much other stuff going on that he can't address by giving them a pill. And, um, and you know, the, the hospital is absolutely trying to do more social services around those patients to help them stay alive, but also um, get to the point where they can take the time to stay alive. But I think lawyers face similar things where we tend to address one really small, narrow thing. Um, and it's awesome that you're trying to extend your impact beyond just addressing the legal problem into the actual problem. <laughs> right. Because, well, if we, if we want a successful community, if we want people to do well, it has to be like that, right? It has to, yeah. it can't just be like, Hey, I'll check on, in on you with this thing, but don't ever talk to me again. <laughs> you know that. <laughs> right. It, it can't work like that. And and that's part of building these relationships um, with these people personally. And I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel that attorneys can be intimidating and people hate us. And, sure, you know, and all they <laughs> see when they look at us is dollar signs. And I feel like going out into the community more and creating these relationships make us less intimidating, makes people more likely to ask questions. And again, saves them some heartache down the road. 
maybe even gives people a chance to see that you don't drive a Mercedes or live in a mansion. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're exactly right. One day, yes, I'll, I'll ride my boat into work, but <laughs> you're exactly right. <laughs> so right now, half of my time is just hustling and keeping the lights on, and the other half of my time is building these programs through with my um, nonprofit agencies and employers that I can replicate <laughs> and take all over the state of Ohio. That's what I hope for. So how do you, um, you're obviously, you have a for-profit law firm. Correct. Um, and I assume you're trying to, you're trying to make a profit so you can make a living. Correct. Um, how do you, how do you juggle? Um, Cause it sounds a little bit like you're kind of like me where you, you want to say yes to everything that can make a difference in other people's lives. Um, so how do you juggle um, that like, but I still have to make money on these things. <laughs> and how do you, you know, how do you make sure that when you're, um, especially when you're working with nonprofits that have very different business models, um, that you're, you're actually, you know, keeping the lights on and able to grow, which is your, your objective. And you, you hit it on the head. So that's sort of the place I'm at now because I, I've really seen, um, through my work with these nonprofits, that this is a place that needs the help, right? This is where I can be the biggest impact. But it's finding money for <laughs> finding money for them to pay me uh, that I look into or that I struggle with. So at this point, my hope is that, or or the business model, I guess, that I have is that the the traditional cases and even the sliding scale fees, and to some extent, the employer relationships that I have will sort of balance out any nonprofit work that I do um, so I can charge them less. Which in a way, the nonprofit work becomes sort of a, a way to feed referrals back to you. And you're exactly right. And, you know, with each of these employers and these nonprofits, uh, I sort of develop a flat fee menu of services specific to the needs that I see common with them. So that they know coming in, if we need to unbundle or limit scope, or I just need you to look over these forms, this is how much it's going to cost. And that is helpful. But at, at this point, um, as a newer attorney, as a newer firm, I probably do way more, way more free work <laughs> than I should. <laughs> so tell me how, I mean, how is it going as a business? Are you, um, and I, are, a year in is too soon to tell whether you're successful or not for just about anybody, but... Um, how are you feeling about it now? And, and what's the rest of your support net network look like? Do, are you the sole breadwinner and this is um, kind of a live or die thing for you? Or, um, you know, what kind of flexibility do you have? I, so I'm fortunate that I have some. Um, I have a spouse who does have an income. And I, um, as I told, as I said, I, I maintain a traditional caseload. So I do, I do a lot of guardian work. I appointed cases. I help other attorneys out. If that was all that I was doing, I would still be pleased with my law firm. Am I raking in millions of dollars? No, but I'm able to, <laughs> I'm able to support the family and still invest and try to develop these programs without losing a ton. One more time, kind of draw the picture for me of where you see your firm in, say, five years. Do you have a clear picture of that right now, or are you still trying to figure that out? Well, it's it's evolving a bit um, because, as I said earlier, I see I see the need is in the nonprofit world. Uh, my goal is to have between I would say five and ten contract attorneys working on cases 
to have maybe 10 to 20 employers that I visit on a monthly basis and maybe 5 to 10 nonprofit agencies that I visit on a weekly basis for clinics, workshops, one-on-one counseling. So that's the goal is to sort of expand. I believe that I could potentially tap into some law schools and some other bar associations, specifically maybe their incubator or their clinic programs to get them some um, experience and grow the firm even further. Gotcha. But the the evolving part is, and I keep joking about it with everyone I see, but I feel like I may buy a Volkswagen bus and call it the Justice Mobile and just drive <laughs> around Ohio to the to the uh, Justice Deserts, as I call it, where there's there's not so many legal clinics, there's not so many public defenders and, and help out there. So that's something I'm still exploring. Well, it's funny that you should mention that because I know you're going to be joining us at TBD Law in yes. uh, probably before this airs, actually. Um, and last year at the hackathon, uh, somebody came up with an idea for merging um, food trucks with um, with law firms. And brilliant! Uh, Did remember. they do it? There, there are a couple of law firms that actually go around um, in trucks, basically. Um, just, and, and I love I love that idea. Um, and uh, maybe it maybe it's not even crazy. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's and and I suppose maybe your business model will continue to evolve as a result of TVD law. At least I hope so. Um, I hope so. Or, I'm super excited. Yeah. Oh, good. One thing that just stands out on your bio, um, and I so I have to ask you about it on your website. Oh yeah. Is that you participated in an externship with the Justice League of Ohio, <laughs> which obviously conjures up an image of um, you know capes and some pretty sweet um, sparkly boots. Boots and uh, and superheroes. So, <laughs> what is it? What is it really? And, and is it, I mean, wh- why is it the Justice League? So you're. That's funny. You say it like that because every time somebody <laughs> would ask me, like, "Where are you externing?" You you have to do like their whole hands on the hips and be like the Justice League. But um, <laughs> so they're a great group, and they've actually changed their name since then. I believe it's the Ohio Victims Crime. Center or something like that, but um, I mean, did did DC come? Did DC Comics come after them for the name or something? It's possible. I think. Well, it was the Justice League of Ohio, so I think like they probably <laughs> could have kept it. But uh, um, they're they're a great group. They do a lot of work for um, victims of violent crimes, representing them in court on a pro bono basis. They're a nonprofit firm that has attorneys that go out there and educate people about victims' rights and things like that. So, <laughs> I mean, they really are kind of heroes if you think about it in yeah. that manner, but but not the ones... That, I didn't get to wear any sparkly outfits, no. <laughs> uh, I know. A while back, uh, Minnesota changed its... Uh, or it issues, issued an ethics advisory that you should not use and associates unless you have more than one associate working at your firm. And I had one associate, so I had to change my name from Samuel J. Glover and Associates. And Randall, my associate, and I were talking about what to change it to. And we really wanted to make our firm the Justice League, but we were afraid of getting sued. <laughs> <laughs> so so we came up with not very interesting names and just wound up being the Glover Law Firm or something. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, well, I mean... It, at least you'd be, you would have a lot of name recognition. It, even if you were sued, 
Yeah. <laughs> We'd have you superhero did. images all over the office and we would have been <laughs> making them proud, but you know. You so. like rip open your shirt at court and there would be yeah. like Superman or the Incredible <laughs> Hulk there. It would exactly. be amazing. Well, <laughs> Mindy, thanks so much for being with us today and, and telling us about your, your socially conscious firm. That's cool stuff you're doing and I wish you luck and I hope we'll have you back. Uh, I mean, I know we'll stay in touch through TVD Law and that community, but I hope we'll have you back to talk about um, how you've launched it forward in two or three years. Awesome. I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Make sure to catch next week's episode of the Lawyerist podcast. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit lawyerist.com slash podcast or legaltalknetwork.com. You can subscribe via iTunes or anywhere podcasts are found. Both Lawyerist and the Legal Talk Network can be found on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And you can download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play or iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said during this podcast is legal advice.